0: Is an Odyssey original. This is KNX in depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles
1: Feldman. Stuff. Do we have too much stuff
0: in space? We'll go in depth. We head up to the San Bernardino Mountains where help is on the way to deal with all the snow, but maybe some of that help should have been there already. And we'll tell you about a fungus that's attracted to booze, and that's led to a lawsuit. Is it attracted to, like, like the hard stuff or cocktails? The
1: hard or stuff, it appears. The hard stuff. Yeah. Wow. We start, though, with the Hubble Space Telescope and whether there's just too much stuff in space. With us is astronomer at Griffith Observatory Director, Ed Krupp. Ed, thanks for being with us.
2: A pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yeah, space is a valuable resource. Uh, you might think we use it up, but uh, that's not the case.
1: Well, I mean, you know, uh, one would think that there's unlimited space for stuff, but there isn't is there
2: no we're really talking about an area that is very valuable because it's relatively close to earth and we've found that we use it a lot that's for satellite technology all kinds of things we depend on Uh, but we also use it for astronomy and that means we push the frontier of what we know so we can invent new things That has been a problem of uh, junk, really, other satellites in space for ground-based astronomers for quite a while and quite unexpectedly. But there it is. The Hubble Space Telescope up in orbit with a lot of other satellites is also having trouble.
0: Yeah, because they're getting uh, like photobombed in a way, right? These other satellites orbiting, they get in the way.
2: Yeah, The Starlink satellites and other systems are uh, quite numerous, and as a consequence, because many of them are above the orbit of the space telescope, they can cross its field. At this time, I don't think anybody could really argue that the Hubble Space Telescope is being put out of business, and it's a very old instrument uh, of its own sort, so it won't last forever. But the problem here is looking to the future. What are we going to do to plan to make sure that we utilize that very valuable resource of uh, satellite space so that it benefits us for whatever we need and we don't just throw everything up there. It is unregulated now. Uh, it's sort of like open real estate and people are grabbing it.
1: Well, Ed, yeah, I was just going to ask you that. I mean, who decides, you know, when we've reached the limit on how much stuff we can have in space and and who decides who decides?
2: Uh, I don't think that there's really a clear mechanism for that at the moment. Uh, The United Nations certainly has agency that is is. Involved with regulating what you'd you'd call space law, uh, and so probably you have to come to terms with multiple nations agreeing, at least the spacefaring nations, agreeing that that this is an issue, and then jointly signing some kind of treaty or agreement.
0: And there's real danger here, too, because we've also got, uh, you know, dead satellites up there, satellites that have outlived their usefulness, but they continue orbiting because that's how some of these orbits work. And at some point, uh, there is a concern, there's a fear, is there not, that one of these satellites, maybe a dead one, maybe a live one, might just come too close to the International Space Station or some kind of orbital thing that we're doing up there and might put astronauts at risk.
2: Uh no question that's the case. Uh again it has to do with our not really being tidy uh as we, we build our structures and activities up there. And and of course uh this has been turned into spectacular motion picture fair as well. But it's a real threat in the long term if we do not make some kind of judgment about how to handle it.
1: So am I right before before I guess what, Sputnik in, in what was that, fifty nine or so? Fifty seven. Uh, uh, there was really nothing in space, right? Around That's the Earth, exactly. anyway. Not not nothing of Earthly artificial. origin. Nothing of yeah. Earthly <laughs> origin, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, nothing artificial in orbit uh, around the Earth. Sputnik was the very first Earth satellite, and of course, obviously, we're up into uh, pushing hundreds of thousands.
1: Wait, hundreds of thousands of... Stuff like in a space? Cloud oh, of oh, stuff probably
2: just fragments and things. It's probably oh. way more than that. Uh, but the fact is that w- we also have technology to help us monitor a lot of that, and that's been going on for for really decades. Uh, f- so that allows whatever might be up there to to take defensive measures should it be necessary. But if you keep populating orbital space with more and more material, uh, that's going to be a task that's that's beyond uh, AI and, and the most remarkable what, computer.
1: Why, why do I think that if there is some other civilization that happens to be scouting around our solar system and it passes Earth, they're not looking out going, what a garbage dump. That. That is <laughs> what, <the> thing,
2: <laughs>
0: what is that, a junkyard? <laughs>
2: All right. Yeah, yeah well, we, we, oh, we don't need aliens to, to tell us that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fortunately, fortunately, we're smart enough to, to figure out what we've got. The question is, are we smart enough to deal with
0: it? All right. Thank you, uh, Griffith Observatory's uh, Ed Krupp. He's the director there. Okay, right now, though, it is taking
1: quite some time to get more help to people who are stuck in their homes up in the local mountains because, well, because of all the snow crews. They're working to clear the roads, but there's only so much equipment already there to do that. Rick Herrick is a Big Bear Lake Council member. Rick, thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So do you have enough equipment? And if you don't have enough equipment, considering that it does snow up there, how come?
3: Well, more equipment is arriving all the time from uh, throughout the state because there's a declaration of emergency uh, that the uh, governor signed. So that part of it's good. Well, we're we're used to storms in the neighborhood of inches, um, for instance, 11 inches as opposed to 11 feet, which was reported by Snow Summit and Bear Mountain this morning after this morning's uh, storm finally finishing. So the, the numbers are, are absolutely massive. Um, this is what I've been calling the storm that we've been waiting for. So it's a series of different storms that came in, but this really is the storm. Uh, and I think we've learned a lot of things uh, from this, including positioning equipment ahead of time, sort of looking like this. This, this is a disaster in the making, and opening up an emergency uh, operation center where basically we are ready to go. Um, uh, there is, uh, you know, one organization which is uh, in charge of the roads, which is Caltrans. But this is just this is not just a road issue when we have these sort of things happening. So we really need to bring everybody involved in it right from the start. And so lessons learned uh, from this and we'll be more prepared in the future. Right. And and
0: in this particular situation, uh, I think it was by Wednesday, the uh, forecasters were saying there's a blizzard warning in effect for the mountain. So it was three days, uh, three days heads up. Uh, would that have been enough time if you had been able to start moving equipment in when you first heard it was going to be a blizzard? There's going to be a lot of snow dropped to move equipment into place ahead of time. Or would you have needed more than three days?
3: Well, the, the city was ready because we, we took that to heart and understood that uh, this is, we're going to be hit hard with it. Whether it's Even a, two, a two-foot storm can be a hard storm for us. So the, the city was ready with equipment and personnel, and we were ready to go. The county was basically ready. Caltrans was sort of ready, but there, there wasn't a consorted effort of everybody coming together, including fire and sheriff. Uh, And the EOC to try to uh, decide, okay, if this hits the way it's going to hit, for instance, if the roads close, what do we do with people who can't get home, we need to have an emergency uh, shelter for them set up, that wasn't quite ready so yes we can, uh, if we have a plan ahead of time, if we know that something is coming, we can begin to mobilize equipment, get that in place. But also, more than that, get organized so that we know that fires on board, sheriff's on board, council is on board, the cities are on board, everybody's on board, including the private contractors, and be able to move a little bit faster. But to be frank with you, it's been a number of years since we've had these sort of big storms. And this one was this I've been here for a long time. This was a very unusual storm to have back-to-back heavy snow uh, storms coming in like that. But I think now everybody is of the mindset that we will prepare ahead of time with plans, so that when we know this is coming, at least we can get begin to mobilize, as opposed to sort of after the fact, and then treating it like it's really a road issue when this is right. so much more than a road issue.
1: I'm curious, Rick, because as you know, there are plenty of uh, people down below who are probably can't wait to get up to Big Bear uh, to take advantage of all that snow. Uh, what's your guidance about when people should, if they are so inclined, go there?
3: Well, the, the skiers are saying that you can have too much of a good thing. And that's absolutely true. I mean, they had to close yesterday, open up late today. They're they're very limited because there is so much snow. The good part is for people who want to enjoy the snow, it will be here for months. This is not going away tomorrow, the end of the week, even, you know, we might even last until summertime. We've seen snow here for uh, lengthy periods of time in the past. So no need to rush up. And why put yourself or your family through? I'll call it an ordeal. There's essentially, even with second homeowners, they can't even get into the driveway to park. If you try oh. to park on the street, you're going to get towed. You're going to get an expensive ticket to do that. So even somebody who owns a home here, uh, they can't get up the mountain. It's really for residents only because we have limited fuel, limited food, limited access to certain areas. So July
1: would be a good time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I'm going to bet the highest peaks will have snow in July.
0: Yeah,
1: there you go. Uh, we,
3: we've had just an absolutely incredible amount to the tune of uh, over 200 inches Uh, so far, and the season is not over yet. So, yeah, just hang tight. Uh, You know, it'll become very obvious when, you know, time to come on up. And just a little bit of a warning, uh, Caltrans um, has been announcing, you know, roads closed, take alternate routes. I'm begging you, please do not take alternate routes because what that means is, ways or google maps might take you on a dirt road which in the summertime with a hefty four by four you can clear in the winter time you're going to get stuck and you're going to be very unhappy with the tow bill to get out of a place like that so all i can say is if it says take alternate routes right now don't, don't take do any it. routes yeah. because this is not the it's not the time to be here not time to get stuck resources are really spread very right. thin right now and if you do get yourself in trouble it might take longer All than right. you expect to have somebody come rescue you.
0: All right, Rick. Uh, thank you so much, Rick Herrick, uh, Big Bear Lake council member. So Big Bear, Hawaii. Yeah. Big Bear, Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, Hawaii. Hawaii is probably I, the best yeah. bet. Yeah.
1: Then coming up, debt piling up for some older millennials, and there's a type of fungus. Apparently, it it kind of gets drunk, and it's causing big problems near a famous distillery.
0: And we're going to find out what that fungus knows that we don't. Yeah. Right now, though, a Lutonza flight from Austin, Texas, to Frankfurt, Germany seemed routine until it got smacked by a lot of nasty turbulence. It was so b- uh, bad, the uh, plane had to divert. We'll tell you the whole story with Dan Bobb, a former airline pilot and aviation history expert at uh, UNLV. Uh, thank you so much. So we hear that the turbulence got so bad that uh, some personnel on board uh, got slammed up into the ceiling. Can turbulence really get that bad? How much how much more bad could it get? Uh,
4: th- first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, it can get really, really bad. Uh, you can have a severe turbulence that can cause even a 747 to bounce pretty hard. Uh, and so that's why we, as pilots, we always remind everybody, even when we're at cruise altitude and things seem to be kind of smooth and normal, that if you're going to remain in your seat, please keep your seatbelt fastened for this exact reason.
1: Now you know in recent months we've uh, heard about a number of these sort of incidents uh, there was a, uh, a plane i think coming out of Hawaii not that long ago uh this Lufthansa plane uh encountering pretty severe turbulence. And that does lead to the question that as we are experiencing, when I say we, I'm talking about the planet in which we all happen to reside, all kinds of changes in our climate and changes in our atmosphere. Is there any reason to believe that uh, turbulence might be getting either more frequent and or more worse?
4: Uh, Sure. Uh, Climate change definitely contributes to that. Anytime you have fast-moving fronts, which is basically what happened here where this Leptanza Airbus A through 30 encountered the severe turbulence, uh, for sure climate change can increase the severity of the storms. It can increase the severity of the fronts. And so, yes, we have to be prepared for that. And, you know, January, February, and early March are notorious for uh, turbulent weather conditions around Hawaii and, and other uh, places. So, yes, as pilots, we have to be much more vigilant about that. But there are really a couple things that we can do regardless of the severity of the turbulence. First of all, we can uh, interpret the meteorological reports, that uh, the charts that we can look at. Also, we have what are called pilot reports or what we call PIREPS. So we might ask air traffic control if we have any reports from other airliners at 35,000 feet or 37,000 feet, and then they can tell us so that we can prepare for that.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, do pilots have any indication that they're about to run into some turbulence and that it might be more severe than usual, or does it just suddenly happen?
4: The the problem with clear air turbulence, or CAT, as we call it, is it's hard to detect. And that's why you have to make interpretation of the meteorological charts, but that's why it's also important for pilots to do reports to air traffic control so that we can share that information. So that, let's say, for example, we're going to be cruising at 36,000 feet, and I call air traffic control. And I say, do you have any ride reports at 36,000 feet? And they say, yes, we had a United 777 report, light to moderate turbulence. That's very useful information for us because then we can relay that to the flight attendants and the passengers as well, and we can prepare for it.
1: You mentioned the Lufthansa plane was an A380, which is a large aircraft, right? Um, so for white-knuckle flyers out there, uh, provided that they are well you know, belted into their seats, is there any danger?
4: Uh, No, there's no danger at all. Uh, I think it's remarkable if you look at aircraft technology that the wings on some of these jumbo jets can flex upwards of a 48 degree angle with the weight of the engine and the fuel inside them. And I think that's one of the great marvels of aircraft technology and kudos to Boeing and Airbus for building these really high quality aircraft that can withstand quite significant turbulence.
0: All right. It's still kind of scary, though, when you see those wings flexing, you're sitting in the window seat and you're thinking, is that is that good? Should that happen?
4: Yes, that's a good thing. You want to see those wings flexing like a bird flapping its wings. You do not want to see them rigid at all, because then you can have pretty significant problems if that's the case.
1: Quick question. uh, As as somebody who has had a career as an airline pilot and be truthful, Mm -hmm. did turbulence ever get you nervous or scared?
4: Uh, when I began, it did, but as I learned more about flying and I became a more seasoned pilot, I pretty well got used to it. And then especially when I understood it, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting when we go through pilot training is we also have to know meteorology and we're tested on that, especially for flight instructors, which I was for a part of my career. So I have to be very familiar with how meteorology works. And so that's why, like I said, being able to interpret these weather reports, these charts, Uh, but also sharing information among pilots, air traffic controllers, is just as critical as well.
0: All right, Dan Bubb, former airline pilot and aviation history expert at UNLV.
1: Now, we have a little bit later on, it's one of the stranger stories that we've done, Mm -hmm. without doubt, hands down, because it involves a fungus, Mm -hmm. it involves booze, Mm -hmm. and it involves the fungus Liking the booze. Mm,
0: Well, you know, fungus is like us in a lot of ways. How's that? It likes booze.
1: (laughs) This is KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Still to come, a fungus that really likes the hard stuff. So, wait, so that does that mean like if I'm at a a bar
0: and there's fungus there, do I have to buy it around? Yes, you do, and probably more than one. Oh, okay. Uh, But first, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York finds millennials in their 30s are drowning even more in debt. We're talking $4 trillion in the last quarter of 2020. Yeah, that's more than a
1: 25% jump from just before the pandemic. Kristen Myers is a business journalist, also happens to be. Yes a millennial. (laughs) Kristen, thanks thanks for being with us. So I I, this is a real problem. Why?
5: Yeah. So right now we're just seeing just everything is so much more expensive. If you go to buy a house, for example, and millennials that were particularly in that 30 to 39 age cohort are really starting to rack up debt because they're starting to hit some of those traditional milestones that we think about, right? They want to go and buy a house. Well, mortgages, Uh, are at their highest levels, right? They want to go buy a car. While that has come down in price just a little bit, inflation has made cars more expensive. Rent is more expensive. um, If you are someone who is continuing to rent, childcare is very expensive. Now millennials have put off um, having children for a very, very long time until uh, very recently during the pandemic, we actually saw those birth rates um, actually start to turn around and start to increase again. So childcare is very expensive. So so it really just feels almost as if wherever millennials turn, they have to shell out more and more money thanks to inflation, thanks to rising costs.
0: And and the interest rates as well. How much of a problem are credit cards to, uh, to this whole thing?
5: So what we're seeing right now is millennials, as you, you guys just mentioned, some of those statistics – they're turning a lot to debt, and they've been turning more and more to debt, particularly recently. Uh, Over the first two years, I would say over the pandemic, we did see a lot of millennials especially actually really increase their amount of savings, actually increase the amount that they were starting to invest. However, as we're coming out of the pandemic, we're starting to see millennials turn more and more to credit cards. And as you're mentioning, Those interest rates, they also impact those credit card balances. Those credit cards is every time the Federal Reserve decides to hike those interest rates, the interest rates on credit cards go up as well. So, this is a really big problem because it means that if you are in debt, it's going to get harder and harder for you to get out of debt. And according to the Federal Reserve, they actually did say, look, a lot of folks with those credit card balances, the number of them turning to delinquency and missing payments is actually on the rise. So this really is almost like a warning sign, I think, um, of something that is perha- perhaps darker that could be coming on the horizon. If we do tip over eventually into a recession, this is going to be a group of folks that are really going to struggle.
1: So what can they do about it? I mean, the only there's only a, a, in a way simple but in a way complex way to get out of debt, that is to pay it down and then – to stop spending as much money as we have been spending. but But obviously, people, millennials, want to maintain a particular lifestyle that they like and they feel that they deserve. How can they have it all or can they?
5: <laughs> That's the question I ask myself. As you <laughs> mentioned, I also am a millennial yeah. and it almost feels, and me and my friends talk about this all the time, how are we going to have it all? Some things are just, frankly, going to be unavoidable. If you want to buy a house, for example, it's going to be more expensive. Unfortunately, these are not the home prices that our parents saw. Um, and so, parents that are out there, be a little kinder to your millennial children because it's it's they're struggling a lot more to be able to hit some of those milestones. But look, when it comes to the debt that you do have, I want to first say that it is not something. It might seem overwhelming, but it is not something that is insurmountable. You have to do two things really at once here. You're really going to have to make a budget and you're going to have to become very ruthless and ruthlessly prioritize where your dollars go. Uh really making sure if you have to cut out going out with your friends, you might just have to cut out going out with your friends and instead perhaps try to have nights in at home. A bottle of wine, I'm telling you is going to cost a lot less at the wine store that you drink at home than the one you're going to get at the bar. So that's just uh-huh. let's just put that out there we have to really think about the spending that we do have. You also need to try to start at the same time as we're cutting back on that spending, really start to increase some of those debt payments that you're going to start making. Because I'm telling you, the more you can pay off that debt, the easier and easier that it's going to get over time. And then the third thing, and this is a less popular answer, but I'm going to say it anyway, try to increase your income. There's only so much cutting out of your I've been trying to do that for a long potentially time. Potentially do. No, of course. But I mean, if you're someone who only has, you know, $10, you can only cut down your spending so much and try to budget so much. And so you have to figure out ways, if possible, perhaps to create a side hustle, get a second job if you are really struggling with a high amount of debt and figure out ways to really increase that income as well.
0: All right. Thank you so much. That is uh, Kristen Myers, a business journalist and also a millennial. So everybody has to get more jobs. Yes, get more jobs. Okay. So we uh,
1: mentioned before uh, whiskey fungus.
0: A great name for a band.
1: Maybe, but apparently not something that you want to necessarily encounter. It's a fungus that is fueled by alcohol, vapors of distilleries.
0: So people who live near uh, one of the famous ones, the Jack Daniels yeah. Distillery in Tennessee, they are fed up with all this fungus. It's uh, so much of a problem that Christy Long, who owns and runs a mansion in the area, is suing the county there. With us is both Christy and her husband, uh, Patrick, on the line. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks,
1: y'all. So, uh, hey, thanks, So, all
6: So how
0: bad is the fungus problem, and what does it do to you?
6: So it's pretty proportional to how much alcohol is near you. And so, you know, Jack Daniels is loaded up with over about, they're proposing over 1.2 million barrels to be in seven, 20 buildings right next door to us. So the fungus is, uh, it feeds off how much alcohol is near it, because as it evaporates into the air, right, which they call the angel share, that feeds that fungus. So the more that alcohol in the air, the worse the fungus. Just imagine black cotton candy stuck to everything you see and uh it kills the vegetation it sticks to your house changes your roof colors um takes paint off your car even now, uh, and
1: i i was going to ask though but, but this is uh, obviously something that goes on all the time right it's not a new fungus this is a fungus that that is just associated with the fumes that come from distilleries, right? So, mm-hmm. so is this something that just started bothering your particular house, or were you unaware of it when you moved into your house? I mean, how did that come about?
6: So, the as 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 y'all know, bourbon and whiskey have just exploded over the last decade, and so it really just is a purely a scale issue, right? So, we had two warehouses that were near us, and you know, it causes problems. We probably spend ten thousand a year on soft pressure washes to, with the chemicals to get that off the house. But what we found out was one day they just started building five more. They didn't go through planning and zoning. They didn't go pull any permits. Uh, there was actually a backroom deal between our mayor and and the distillery that he would just he wanted them there so bad that he was allowing them to come in. And so that has sort of led to this issue of, it's not so much what we're dealing with today, which isn't great, but it's what we're trying to defend us and the neighboring all the folks around us from the future uh, uh, this will be the yeah go ahead
0: and, and christy is uh, suing the county over this what uh, what does the lawsuit specifically say and what relief are you asking for
7: so essentially these barrel houses, this is the first time Jack Daniels has ever built in Lincoln County. Um, they are known to be in Lynchburg forever. I am from the local area born and raised. So I'm familiar with uh, the Black Fungus or the Angel Share is their great marketing team, keeps uh, referring that to. Um, but what I'm asking for is for the barrel houses to go through the proper chain, planning and zoning, permitting, And then I want to add uh, filtration because, you know, you don't go into a city as in like like the Dollar General Store in Lynchburg. It does not probably look like the normal Dollar General Store in a local area because they put restrictions on that. Dollar General store. So when they, when a company comes into your town, the planning and zoning committee can actually put restrictions on them. And we want them to put filtration systems on. And I will tell you the cool thing about that is that it will be a win for Jack Daniels. It would be a win for Lincoln County. And it will just be one of those things that. It protects us. It protects, you know, I know you don't know what District 6 is, but District 6 will be black as coal. And right now, the the ethanol that's being spewed out of these barrel houses, is it's just like taking the fungus and putting it on steroids.
1: <laughs> I, I'm curious, uh, if, for either one of you, uh, Christy or Patrick, are you uh, getting any, uh, what you perceive to be, or maybe your physicians think, are health uh, impact by this?
6: Yep. Yep. So it's a little of both, right? So if you have uh, any type of breathing issue already, you will notice some irritation, but that's what we go back to the scale, right? The, the Just the sheer amount of expansion that they're proposing. Today, people don't realize this, but Jack Daniels is the single largest uh, emitter of ethanol pollution in the entire United States, just from this one site. If they build these additional 20 without air filtration, they will triple that number. And that Ethanol is known fact to cause lung cancer irritation, breathing irritation, chronic and acute. And there's even studies that say that it could potentially cause birth defects in the fetus.
7: So I think I'm going to go back and tell you that the barrel houses that are being built in Lincoln County think about this 86,000 square feet is one barrel house.
4: That's pretty huge.
7: Yeah. 66,000 barrels in one house, and they're proposing, if they get all the planning and zoning and all the things, proposing up to 20 within a five-mile radius of each other. This has never happened before in Lynchburg or anywhere else. Yes, Lynchburg does have barrel houses. I think there's like 92 or 93 there, but it's a smaller scale. It's just like there if you go and take the tour at Jack Daniel's, which is a beautiful campus, their barrel houses are like 23,000 square feet give or take.
0: Now and- I I can I can tell you that a Lincoln County attorney did not want to comment about this because we reached out, uh, no. but the general manager of Jack Daniel's says uh, that uh, in a statement the company complies with all regulations connected to the barrel houses, but that it, that's not really your complaint though. You're you're not complaining about uh, complying with regulations. It sounds like you're saying those regulations need to be looked at and changed.
6: It's even deeper than that actually. So we're in we're in close contact. I didn't want to bore you, but. We're in close contact with the EPA. And so all distilleries live on what's known as a fugitive emissions loophole. And that is an emissions loophole that says if you use natural air filtration just going through a building and windows and such, which is what they used to do, then we're not going to make you have emissions controls because it's too hard to collect that, monitor it, et cetera. It makes sense. These new barrel houses are completely sealed. They have air conditioning, they have ductwork, and they they collect, monitor, and exhaust all ethanol um, through four exhaust ports at the top. They therefore, by regulation of the EPA, no longer qualify for fugitive emission status. And once they exceed 100 tons a year in ethanol emissions, they require filtration. Today, these buildings will produce between 450 and 900 tons of ethanol annually. And so when Melvin says that, what he's saying is that as far as anyone knows, according to our permit, because we consider those fugitive emissions still, and that is the issue. And so mm. we're asking the EPA to come and inspect because if the EPA makes the determination that those are not fugitive well, that's a big deal because every barrel house designed this way, no matter what distillery in the United States you're talking about, will have to install air filtration systems. All right. And I, think I, 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 I,
1: I, I presume, by the way, Melvin is the what, general manager of yeah, Jack Melvin Daniels. Oh, Melvin okay. Keebler
6: okay. is the general manager of Jack Daniels. Yes, okay. I apologize. All right, and they, I
7: also think that one of the part of your question is wanting to change uh, regulations. We want to hold people accountable because, from even from our county level, When they go make decisions, the mayor did not have the authority to go and make a deal with Jack Daniels Brown Foreman. There is not one contract on file to show what they're going to do in our county. It also does. There's nothing to even read to tell you what they agreed to.
0: All right, thank you so much. Uh, that is uh Christy Long with her husband Patrick there uh suing over whiskey fungus in their community. You still want to call a band that? You know, now I'm starting to think no, it's not yeah, so nice. Yeah, it doesn't though. Yeah, yeah cuz I don't think I'd like that on my stuff. No. Yeah. No. So, black cotton candy they described it as. So, as a come way. up with another name. Yeah, come up with something else. Uh We can have a contest. Yeah, uh, bourbon fungus, that sounds good. Yeah. That's it for today's in-depth. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.